Hello, my name is Giovanni and this is Social Medicine, my weekly therapy session wherein we delve deep into the issues that are on my mind. Question, do you believe intelligent life exists elsewhere in the galaxy, in the universe? This is the kind of existential question that humans have entertained for decades and will continue to do so for years to come. This very question and the open-ended answers that it demands has inspired an entire genre popular among all mediums of entertainment. You can't escape science fiction. It is everywhere. Star Wars, Halo, Mass Effect, Star Trek, Ender's Game are a few examples of pure science fiction series that have reached the mainstream. But elements of sci-fi can be observed in series with fantastical settings such as Andrei Sapkowski's uh, Witcher books and the conjunction of the spears or in comic book stories. Our fascination with this question has bred numerous responses and ideas and is a question that requires creative answers. Full disclosure, I believe aliens exist. The universe is 13.8 billion years old and larger than we can even begin to fathom. There are virtually an infinite number of stars and planets. Why wouldn't any of them be inhabited by intelligent life? Believing all the life in the universe or even in the galaxy is all cooped up in a single planet is ridiculous. But I understand that this type of existential question brings with it other anxieties born of existentialism. Could we find another planet to inhabit after we strip this one of its resources and render it in inhabitable? Would we be able to hold our own against an invading alien race? Now I want to try to some something new. I want to argue for the existence of alien life with the media I've been consuming since I was a child. I'm going to use these stories to present a few scenarios we may or may not find ourselves in in our time on this earth. In other words, I wanted to talk about aliens without sacrificing the quote-unquote integrity of the show. I hope this episode, no matter how silly, proves entertaining and or educational in some way. I'm going to be using two sci-fi series as my source sources, Star Wars and Mass Effect. And we'll start by giving you all a quick glimpse into the lore of each series. First, a quick comparison of the two series and their portrayal of alien races. Star Wars is a 43-year-old film saga that has, throughout its lifetime, expanded to all media. Books, video games, television shows, comics, and has been worked on by a vast array of filmmakers, writers, animators, game designers, programmers, artists to create the Star Wars lore that George Lucas was unable to expand on through the original and prequel films. Although much of these expanded works, collectively known as the Expanded Universe, has been deemed uncanonical to the Star Wars lore by Disney after its $4 billion acquisition of Lucasfilm and the Star Wars brand, these works still provide with lore that the films, due to the constraints of the medium, just could not. The already believable galaxy of the films was expanded to touch on aspects and personalities outside of the Skywalker lineage and timeline. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away indeed. Star Wars was not meant to be familiar, at least not in its presentation. It can be argued that the themes and messages explored in Star Wars are much more germane to our existence than some other art made to resemble and imitate the real world to the T. In this story, humanity is not at the center of the attention. Yes, your main characters are human. That is because without these links to the audience, uh, for the audience, there is less of an emotional connection and much needed empathy. Humanity as a whole is never really acknowledged. Institutions in Star Wars are only homogenous when it comes to alien races. We have planets that reflect the homogeneity we find on Earth, but with Wookiees and Geonosians and Ewoks. The Jedi Order is home to humans and Twi'leks and Wookiees and Togrudas and Nautilans and whatever the fuck Yoda species is. The Star Wars story is not a story of humans establishing contact and relations with alien species, as is the case in other works of science fiction. There's a long-forgotten history that tells the audience that perhaps this is how it always was in this universe. 
Mass Effect does fall in line with traditional humanity-centered works of science by. This universe started back in 2007 with the release of the first Mass Effect video game, which centered on the story of a human and his diverse crew on a journey to save the galaxy from certain annihilation. That's a very uh, succinct uh, summary of what happens in the trilogy. Humanity is at the center of the story, with the main character, Commander Shepard, serving as the player's avatar. Unlike in Star Wars, where there are no aliens, the player is thrust into a universe where humans, although establishing the intergalactic workings, is still a relatively young galactic power. The alien species in this series are much more distinct right from the start, with the writers relying on tropes to immediately give the player a generalizing understanding of each species and their function to the greater conflicts. The Asari are a blue, all-female alien race, particularly adept at biotics, Mass Effect's space magic. The Solarians are tall and lanky, fast-talking, fast-thinking, hyper-intelligent aliens. And the Krogans are large, brutish, warmongering reptilians, just to name a few. Now, with this information in mind, a lot of questions may come up when applying alien interaction in the real world. First, will we be able to communicate with them? Do a lot of the fantastical aspects of sci-fi, such as the Force in Star Wars and Biotics in Mass Effect, have a chance of being introduced to us by aliens? Will they be a homogeneous species? How many will we encounter? This episode serves to entertain these questions and not answer them. Any answer I do give should be valued for what it is, fiction-inspired theorizing, and not for fact or even opinion. I'm going to theorize about first contact and what that may look like as I attempt to tackle these questions. I will be doing this by presenting three possible scenarios of first contact and attempt to form a semi-realistic theory of what could happen in said scenario, uh, largely based on sci-fi stories I have enjoyed, specifically the two I've mentioned. This is meant to be a more fun episode, so please enjoy and let me know whether or not you believe any of these scenarios probable and whether or not you believe in aliens to begin with. Scenario 1. The alien encounter we are anticipating never happens. Before I start, I must present something that can guide our thinking throughout these three scenarios. It's called the Fermi Paradox. Here is uh, Bill Nye explaining the paradox and his answer for it. For those of you who for some reason are not obsessed with the Fermi Paradox, Enrico Fermi posed the following, same guy with the nuclear reactor in Chicago and all that, posed the following question. If there are alien worlds, as you might claim, since there are billions of stars in billions of galaxies, you would expect billions of planets and then you'd expect a few millions Earth -like, of Earth-like planets. Where, why haven't we heard from these other civilizations? And the answer, I think, is not that complicated. We've only been listening for other civilizations for 50 years, 70 years, depends how you count. And you have to acknowledge that civilizations have to emerge and be able to communicate at the same time. When you have something that's been going on for 13.6 billion years, there's a lot of opportunities to miss each other. So the Fermi paradox, for me, is not a reason to give up and uh, take the black capsule and have no hope for... Uh, humankind because we are just this unique thing in the middle of nowhere and will never amount to anything. No. For me, the Fermi Paradox drives us forward. Why haven't we heard from anybody? Because we're not listening hard enough. We're not being diligent enough. We're not thinking it through well enough. I can appreciate what he is saying. Our finding of alien species is going to rely heavily on all kinds of advancements in, in science and technology, especially when it comes to space travel, but it also relies heavily on time and chance. Even if we have the technology to look for extraterrestrial life in distant galaxies, we have to be looking in the right place at the right time. 
But what if our work, our searches amount to nothing? I'm going to argue that this is the scariest of the three scenarios. To me, the idea that we are the only beings in the universe is beyond frightening. Coupled with the knowledge of what we've done as a species and where we are headed, it certainly paints a clear picture of a finite end to humanity and all life in the universe. Whether it's something external like heat death or internal like nuclear war or climate change, all life will cease to exist. But that is only one explanation for this scenario. The other is simply that we are never found by an alien species or that we never find them. Not a lot could be learned from science fiction about what would happen in this scenario, but maybe that is not what we should be focused on. Maybe we should consider what wouldn't happen in this scenario. The most obvious result of this is no giant leap in technolo technological advancements. <laughs> no lightsabers, no spaceships, no hyperspace travel, etc. None of the more magical elements that are sorely lacking on Earth would make their way to our dying planet either. Essentially, if humanity were to meet its end without making contact with intelligent life, then the technological advancements that would occur between now and then would be comparatively minuscule than if contact was made. This, of course, is with the notion in mind that any and all extraterrestrial life is technologically advanced, more technologically advanced than us. Which, why wouldn't they be? The universe is over 13 billion years old. The Earth is only about a third of that. Humans have been around for around two or 300,000 years. So is it that hard to believe that at least one alien civilization out there has at least a few billion years on us? And is it, hard, is it that hard to believe that this would be the one we make contact with? I guess the question remains of whether or not we would be better off making contact. I think that under this scenario, this planet is doomed to die relatively soon with nowhere else for us to go. If we never make contact with alien life forms, which, as many people theorize, more than capable of coming to us, then it must fall in line with zoo theory one of many responses to the Fermi Paradox. Through this hypothesis, it is believed that the answer to why we haven't made contact with extraterrestrial life that we deem plausible is that we have been found. But the alien civilization that found us is purposely keeping their existence hidden from us in order to observe us as we make scientific, technological, and sociocultural advancements naturally. It is believed that this period of zoo-like observation will come to an end once these aliens deem our species advanced enough to make contact with. For those of you who have read Kurt Vonnegut's uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, think of it as the zoo-like enclosure Billy Pilgrim was placed in by the Trophimodorians, only much larger in scale. I don't think this scenario would be any good. While I don't think humanity will last long enough to have Star Wars be a reality, I certainly believe that the best and fastest way to get closer to peace and prosperity would be alien contact. And this could work in one of two ways. Either we peacefully coexist and learn from our alien brethren, or we go to war with them, either because of their attempted colonization of our planet or our attempted annihilation of the unknown. Either way, a certain type of unification will be achieved that we have been unable to achieve with thousands of years alone on this rock. Scenario 2. Aliens Find Us I understand that some people may argue that history has taught us that we are really shitty creatures conquering civilizations we first make contact with for the hell of it. So maybe it's a good thing that we aren't given the opportunity to do this with alien life. Well, I would say that this would be highly unlikely, especially if they find us. This goes with my belief that any alien civilization we encounter will be highly advanced, more than us, which will probably put us on the receiving end of the conquest. But I should go back a few steps before speaking of conquest. As we have seen in more family-friendly films about first contact, such as E.T. the Extraterrestrial, alien contact doesn't always turn out violent. Let me create a scenario with, within a scenario. Let's say that zoo theory was no theory, it was 
real. We are being closely watched and observed by intelligent aliens, and a lot of UFO sightings people claim to witness or capture on camera are real. These are scouts sent down to recover more data or maybe to further push us to discover the truth. Well, let's say one of those scouts crashes in a cornfield in Kansas and is discovered by a fa farming family who doesn't take kindly to strangers and even less so to what they consider illegal aliens, in this case literally. Upon finding this alien, the dad takes out his rifle and aims it at its head without any attempt at communication. At this point, one of two things can happen. He can either shoot it or is stopped by his more curious and compassionate wife. If the former happens, then the alien that aliens that have been watching us have no choice but to destroy that family for something as human as retribution at the risk of getting caught, which for the sake of the story, let's say does happen, where they will be expected to answer to the crimes that they have committed by the American government which would be seen as a complete sign of disrespect for these hyper-intelligent watchdogs to be challenged by a species so beneath them, resulting in outright war and the end of the human race. Now, if the latter happens, then that family has no choice but to bring attention to the event to their local government, which in turn notifies the state government, who then notifies the federal government, who is then reached out to by the alien leadership. First contact is made, and we learn that we have been an experiment of theirs for hundreds, if not thousands of years. We learn that their intention was to wait and see if it were possible for us, for such a violent species to advance enough in order to forego its violent nature before they ever even made contact that would put them at risk of war. You see, they themselves were found by species completely alien to them, who proceeded to nearly destroy their people and strip their planet of its resources. It's only after a successful rebellion that our watchers were able to rid themselves of their conquerors and able to make enough advancements in the thousands of years between the rebellion and them finding Earth to travel to and keep an eye on Earth and its inhabitants. They decided that they wouldn't allow themselves to be conquered again, but still refused to succumb to the violent ways of their conquerors. They know that wasn't them. So as a pre precaution, they have been keeping a close eye on us and even nudging us in the right direction from time to time. They could do nothing but watch as we went to war with each other as they couldn't risk bringing destruction to themselves in order to save others, even if every compassionate bone in their body was trying to convince their logical brain to intervene. For now that they were found out, they had no choice but to reveal themselves and their motives, as well as, as to propose to take humans under their wing to teach us all they know in hopes of building a thriving intergalactic community. Now the story branches off into two points again. Either we refuse or accept their offer. We refuse, we go to war. We accept and we begin an intergalactic alliance with these aliens that leads us to even further advancements of all sorts. It's through this relationship that we are able to, in time, find, observe, and interact with more alien species that we either work together to destroy if hostile or recruit to our covenant if worthy. This would eventually lead to a universe very much like the one we see in Star Wars where all these alien races we have joined forces and worked together with are living in harmony and coexisting across an array of planets, at least until we are found by a more powerful and menacing ancient alien species that has come to continue its cycle of annihilation, the same alien species that nearly destroyed our saviors so long ago. They have grown powerful, largely because they had infiltrated our ranks long ago and have been feeding information to their leaders. Once the outer forces attack our system of alliances, those who have been pretending to be one of us, launched their attack from within, quickly weakening our forces and being a large reason for our defeat in the war. We aren't completely annihilated, however. A few of each kind of race under our covenant remain, 
and the process of rebuilding civilization continued. Now it may seem like I combined the stories and concepts of Star Wars, Mass Effect, E.T., Superman, Alien, and countless other sci-fi stories to come up with the story, because I did, but I also see this as a possible explanation and theory as to how and why we have slash haven't found aliens. I would wager that there are numerous alien civilizations spread across the universe, many younger than us, many older, but all as lonely as us, all wondering whether or not aliens are out there. Scenario 3, we find aliens. The last scenario kind of occurred in the last one I discussed, but what if our first contact with aliens was initiated by us? For this, I'd like to introduce the depiction of first contact from one of the greatest video game trilogies of all time. In the year 2148, explorers on Mars discovered the remains of an ancient spacefaring civilization. In the decades that followed, these mysterious artifacts revealed startling new technologies, enabling travel to the furthest stars. Faced with the realities of establishing an interstellar dominion and all the opportunities and dangers that presented, Earth's 18 most powerful nations established a political body to represent and defend humanity. When mankind finally encountered alien civilizations and was welcomed into the galactic community, they marched forward into this new era united under the system's alliance. The alliance's primary responsibility is to represent all of humanity on the galactic stage, as well as the governance and defense of its extrasolar colonies. A supranational institution, the system's alliance has been granted this authority by the various individual nations of Earth, who maintain some degree of autonomy on the planet itself. However, the Alliance's multitude of successes have ensured that the organization remains Earth's primary diplomatic, economic, military, and exploratory agency. As the Alliance has expanded its presence across the galaxy and more colonies and outposts are established, it has slowly begun transitioning into something resembling a more traditional government. Even in the earliest days of interstellar exploration, the system's alliance operated numerous warships, for the discoveries on Mars had instilled a deep wariness across humanity over the potential of encountering an advanced alien race. This concern was seemingly warranted. In 2157, the system's alliance was in the midst of its first great expansion program and had established dozens of new colonies and began harvesting a wealth of fresh resources. Every mass relay discovered was activated, and the systems it brought within reach were explored and charted. Unbeknownst to humanity, however, the activation of mass relays without first knowing where they led was considered reckless by the Citadel Council and illegal within their space. When a Turian patrol fleet encountered a Systems Alliance scout flotilla, the Turians opened fire. While the nations of Earth were paralyzed with indecision, the Systems Alliance delivered an immediate counterattack. Despite being overextended due to the ongoing colonization efforts, the Alliance put up a valiant defense. The situation came to a head on the Alliance colony of Shanxi. Besieged by Turian forces in orbit, the colony's garrison surrendered and Shanxi was occupied. Believing the majority of the Alliance forces to have been routed, the Turians were caught unprepared when a powerful retaliatory fleet entered the planet's orbit and reclaimed the colony. As the Systems Alliance and Turian hierarchy prepared for a full-scale war, the Citadel Council intervened and brokered a truce. The first contact war was relatively brief and bloodless, with less than a thousand casualties on each side, but it served to introduce humanity to the greater galactic community and set the standard by which they would be judged. 
Like I said before, the story of Mass Effect is one heavily geared towards military sci-fi. The First Contact War, I think, is a fairly believable depiction of what would happen if humanity were to encounter a system of alien civilizations living in conjunction. It was a discovery of alien artifacts in Mars that pushed humanity towards the technological advancements required for interstellar travel in the lore of Mass Effect and is something that is reflected in the real world to some extent. It's people like Elon Musk who, because of past scientific discoveries and advancements, are pushing for human expansion in space. So we are already getting a taste of that. Imagine if we found technologies left behind by an alien civilization in a previously uncharted world. That would be huge. Some questions remain. What would the home planet of the alien species we encounter look like? Will they be the only species living there, as we typically interpret Martians as being? Will they coexist with other sentient species or even non-sentient animals? There are numerous examples of dogs and cats in the Star Wars lore. Could this be the case in the real world? I believe so. The odds are that in the billions of stars present in the universe, at least one ought to have a planet with similar climate and living conditions to that of Earth that could house living beings. But, I mean... Would it be that hard to believe that alien species could live under different conditions, with oxygen, light, and gravity levels being wildly different than ours? I tend to lean towards this scenario being the one that plays out in real life. As is true of religious people, I believe in something that I can't see, and I believe that it will be up to us to find extraterrestrial life. Even if zoo theory was real, what exactly would be the conditions we would have to meet before being introduced to interstellar travel in alien species? But even then, this is not something I see happening in our lifetime, or in our children's lifetime, or in our children's children's lifetime. We are so far away from this that it would be easy to see how humanity would end before then, which essentially brings us back to the first scenario, which I claim to be the scariest one. But then again, even if we do find alien life, there's almost no chance that we will be able to communicate with them. Their laws of physics could be completely different, and would communicate in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. The same thing with God, right? How vain are we that we apply the rules of anatomy and scientific understanding found in our world to otherworldly beings or beings of the spiritual realm? Who's to say God is in the mist or a blob? Same with aliens. Maybe they communicate telepathically and have foregone any form of currency. Basically, what I'm saying is that we know nothing, and pretending to do so is so bad for our health. As much as I truly believe there is intelligent life out there, and as much as I want it to be true, it isn't true yet. We are Schrodinger, and the universe is our cat. As it is, there is and there isn't alien life out there. The universe is just too large for first contact to occur between humans and aliens. So it looks like, no matter the answer to the question, is there intelligent life out there, we are alone. That's going to be it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show and appreciate the time and effort I put into researching, writing, recording, and editing it, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash socialmedicine. There's only one tier of a dollar a month, and that's for anyone who enjoys the show and wants to help build it. Thank you for listening to me talk about aliens. I know it was very different to what you may be used to, but I still hope you found some enjoyment out of it. Discussing topics like these, I think, balances out the tone of the show even if we came to a rather somber conclusion this episode. So I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what your theory on aliens are and whether or not we will ever find them. The best part about this topic is that absolutely no one is wrong. Thanks again for listening. I hope you all stay safe and stay sane. Have a beautiful rest of your week, and we will be back to more solemn discussions of social issues next week. Goodbye.